This podcast was recorded on Thursday, May the 10th at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. They have their job to do, but I had mine, which was to vote against what I feel wasn't right. Liberal MP Scott Sims was punished by his party whip last month, stripped of his job as committee chair, prevented from traveling, and, according to sources, told he won't be given any speaking slots in the Commons. It's a, a surprising move. I'm surprised that uh, the Prime Minister would punish and take away funds and influence from an MP for voting conscience. Uh, after all, it's 2018. Sims was the lone Liberal who voted against his government's controversial attestation requirement for Canada summer jobs funding. Groups who want federal money to hire students now have to confirm that their core mandate respects the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, including abortion rights. A number of churches and small businesses say they're uncomfortable with the requirement and won't participate, even if their activities have nothing to do with anti-abortion measures. Our government is doing something that has never been done in history, and that is put an ideology test on students getting a job for the summer. Sensing an opportunity, the Conservatives brought forward a motion calling on the Liberals to reverse their decision. Groups that feed the homeless, serve refugees, and help kids go to summer camp should have access to Canada's summer jobs funding regardless of their beliefs and regardless of signing that attestation, they said. Sims and veteran NDP MP David Christofferson agreed and both defied their party's instructions and voted with the Tories. The move surprised Conservative MP Brad Trost. A little bit unusual, a little bit tough for them because none of them are exactly conservative on social issues, but they got the point. This was about you have the right to disagree in a democratic society. This being federal politics, punishment was swift. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh immediately removed Christofferson as vice chair of the Commons' powerful Procedure and House Affairs Committee. But his colleagues quickly defended him. I think things could have been handled better, and, um, and so these are certainly learning experiences for us uh, as we move forward. After a wave of backlash, the NDP leader reinstated Christofferson. Uh, I'm not so arrogant as a leader to believe that uh, once I make a decision, that's it. Uh, I'm open-minded, I like to hear different opinions, and I think it takes strong leadership to say, okay, maybe we need to revisit a decision. Sims, however, didn't receive the same fate. Despite Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's repeated assertions that MPs would be the voice of their constituents. Canadians expect uh, their Liberal members of Parliament, indeed they expect all members of Parliament, to be uh, voices for their communities in Ottawa not just Ottawa's voice in their communities. That's a commitment I made to Canadians many, many times over the past uh, three or four years. The Newfoundland MP lost his position as chair of the Standing Committee on Fisheries and Oceans, along with an $11,000 salary bump that came with it. I'm Althea Raj, and this is Follow Up, a HuffPost Canada politics podcast. In this episode, we chat with Sims about party discipline. How much freedom do MPs really have, and how far should parties go to keep their members in line? Stay tuned.
the punishment that was levied against you, stripping you of a committee chairmanship, mm -hmm. it's not just a pre prestigious job, it's an interesting job. It's also a job that comes with a nice little $11,000 salary bump. What made you think this was worth it? I, it wasn't gonna change the vote. I never thought about it at all. If the money occurred to me, then I wouldn't have voted the way I did. <laughs> Seriously? Well, yeah, of course. I guess. I mean, I don't know if it. It. No, I didn't. You know, I'm. I'm. This is a comfortable living. Um, the extra money that was involved was not worth that much to me, quite frankly. I mean, like I said, if it, if it did, I wouldn't have done what I what I had done. So, Scott Sims, Member of Parliament for Coast of Bay Central Notre Dame. Hello. Hi. Thanks for doing this. Well, thanks for having me. So, I wanted to talk about party discipline. Sure. But. Before that, um, why don't you take the listener back to why you decided to vote against the party earlier this year? There was a, a, a lady in, in Pelly's Island in my riding. She came up to me and, and she was involved in the church. And uh, she showed me on her phone the attestation. This was back just before Christmas. And she showed it to me, and I, I thought it—I thought it was just fake news, <laughs> pardon the expression, but I thought it was something off Facebook. I thought it, was, it wasn't correct or whatever, but it turns out it was, and and that—that that was the attestation. I thought it was worded indelicately. Now, what she had there was not the way it was actually worded in the end, but it concerned me because we had put people in this position of putting out their opinions on reproductive rights. And listen, I, I've said to others and I've said to anybody who will listen, I believe in reproductive rights. I do. Um, I felt it was insensitive. I thought that there needs to be a diversity of, of opinion and we have to uphold that. And I think what this did was, I know there was a nuance of, well, we're not asking people to believe in it. We're, ask, we're asking people to practice that the jobs will not encounter them doing activities against the charter. I just thought it was insensitively word, worded the way it was. Like, it could have been worded a lot better. Even if you had just said the charter, it's fine. There, there are ways around this. I just, it, it, again, it was the insensitivity of it that I thought was particularly galling for me. Was this a big issue in your writing? Um, not really. It, I've had bigger issues, much bigger issues. Um, which is why when people say you did this, obviously, because you got a lot of feedback from your constituents and you're doing what your constituents want. I've done that before. I mean, I've been offside with the party on many occasions. And at times I've done it because it was such, there was such pushback from my riding. But I guess when you're here for 14 years, you sort of say to yourself, there's sometimes you got to stand up and say, I don't think that's right. And that's why I did what I did for the most part. What was different about this time than the other times? Hmm. Just that. I, 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 this was a pure conviction for me. I, I just thought it was a very insensitive move. It's too bad the whole reproductive rights issue came into it because, as I've said, I'm pro-choice. I think a woman has a right to choose based on reproductive rights. But by the same token, we also are a country, we are a country that respects others and their opinions. So what made you decide that this was an issue on which you would vote against the party? Um, I, I think it, I don't know, it's a tough question. I, 
I just could not see myself. When the conservatives put forward the motion, there was nothing in that motion I, I disagreed with. And, and I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think there, there were a lot of liberals who felt the same way. But, you know, there were some liberals who thought this is just a conservative motion. They're only trying to create mayhem, which is true. Mm-hmm. They were just using it as a, a wedge, you know, for political reasons. I realize that. But when it comes down to the actual words and the actual motion, I felt I, I couldn't go through with it and deny it. I, I mean, I could have stayed away from the vote, but I couldn't do that either. I was already public by saying that I don't think this is right, and I had to back it up. How did the leadership let the caucus members know that they expected you to vote in a certain direction? Well, it's usually translated, it transmitted in several ways. Usually it's by internal communications. You tell your staff, they, they share it amongst your um shared amongst the caucus members. Usually it's talked about within caucus. And then at the end, they make the leader can make a decision as to how this is going to be, whether it's a whipped vote or not. Um, I, I'm not, you know, a lot of people are against whipped votes. And a lot of people, I'm trying to drifting into a different territory, I apologize. But a lot of people don't like this idea about whipped votes. But, you know, sometimes it's necessary. It is a party system we have, right? And it is for all intents and purposes, a team sport. So there comes a time when you have to whip votes. Otherwise, the system falls apart. Like, for example, if you have a confidence vote or you have a whipped vote and a member of the cabinet goes against it, well, they have two jobs now, really. I mean, yes, they're the MP for the riding, but they're also a part of the executive. And if the executive kind of goes off in different directions, then... the system kind of comes apart at the seams. It's hard to hold them accountable. It is hard to hold them accountable. And, and, you know, I'm not in cabinet, so if it was easy for me to say, I mean, put it this way, if I was in cabinet, I'm asking myself a question, how about that? If I was in cabinet, how would I have voted? I don't know. But I would have thought longer. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a singular member of parliament representing my riding, which is fine, because that's why I got in this business. That's why I wanted to do this. Um... When you're in cabinet, it's a different story. Or your parliamentary secretary, that's slightly a different story. It's, it's one of those things where whips are necessary, but you don't always have to necessarily be whipped. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. So I assume you made your case either to your caucus colleagues, but you certainly made it to the whip. Not really. Tell me about that. Um, well, you know, I made my case, yes, but there wasn't a lot of time to get into it. And that's not the fault of anybody, really. It was just a very quick issue. It came upon us and, and, uh, there wasn't a lot of time to talk about it. So uh, in a way that's my own downfall. I didn't talk about it much within our group. I just, I felt so strongly about it. And if I had a weakness in this issue, I should have brought it up more than what I did. So I admit that I didn't bring it up in caucus as much as I should, and and I, I should have. You told the whip you were going to vote against it? Yes, I did, yeah. How did that conversation go? To be honest with you, I really, I, I don't really want to talk about what the whip and I talked about. I told him, I gave him my word that we would have a conversation between him and me, uh, and I respect that. Not only do I respect that, but I also respected him too. Uh, he was very respectful towards me in all this. And if there's one job in this whole place that I don't envy, it's the whip of a major political party. It's got, it. you know, I mean, people talk about the prime minister's job as a tough one, and it is. 
uh, and a cabinet minister is tough, but a lot of people forget that being the whip of a party, especially the largest party represented, is got to be one of the toughest, toughest jobs you can ever imagine. And I have a lot of respect for him, for what he does, and I have to say he treated me with a great deal of respect. It, for example, before I voted, I knew what was going to happen. So there you go. That's all you can ask for. If you do vote this way, then these are the consequences. And I knew what the consequences were. Were you sure you were going to vote that way? Yes. There were no like last-minute jitters no. as you stood up? No. no, no While the opposition were cheering you? Mr. Sims. Mr. Sims. I listened to the tape this morning. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, well, see, that's, that's, you know, that wasn't very nice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they were, they were kind of, in their, I guess, in their opinions, they were trying to help me along, but it's not helping me along. I mean, when you vote against your party, I'm going to tell you, everyone, for any Canadian, average Canadian who's listened to this podcast, everyone said, if I was there, I'd vote against my party. If it was for my riding, let me tell you, it's not as easy as you think. It's not as easy as you think. And I'm not talking about ramifications. I'm talking about colleagues. Like I have a greatest respect. One of my deepest regrets of doing that, and not only this vote, but other votes, is that you put other people in a, you know, in an uncomfortable position, right? Everyone has a path that they need to go down in politics. And it's and for me to say I did it for my riding and the rest of the people, they voted the other way. They don't believe in their riding. That's not true either. You feel like you put them in an awkward position because now they feel more pressure from their constituents to have also voted the way you did? I'm not sure. I don't, I, I don't represent any other riding, but I don't think it's very comfortable for them. I've been in that position before where a colleague of mine has voted against the party and I chose to be with the party and it wasn't very good in my riding. And uh, it wasn't very comfortable. But I chose for several reasons. You know, I thought that uh, the prime minister had a vision, and I believe our current prime minister does have a vision. And 99% of the time, I do vote with him for that reason. Sometimes, however, things go a little astray. And I, we may not agree on a certain matter, and um, that's why you do what you do. What was the... Um, response to the way you voted in your own writing with your caucus colleagues? It was, you know, it, thank you for doing that, a lot of that. Um, I mean, I, I haven't, since then, I haven't been in the writing much, so because it's been busy here. But, uh, you know, it has been on the whole general, mostly, I mean, positive, but... By the same token, I, I just, I, I think that um, most people uh, talk to me about, you know, you had to do what you do. Now, I get negative comments too, don't get me wrong, about the issue, about reproductive rights, and I have to explain myself. So it's been positive with a mix of negative reviews, I guess. And your caucus colleagues? Uh, great. I, I haven't heard anything. They, they, you know, they've been very supportive. I say caucus colleagues, primarily caucus colleagues from Newfoundland and Labrador. They've been very supportive. Um, you know, they, we don't, 
didn't talk about it much. They were not negative about it. Um, uh, to be honest with you, in the 14 years I've been here, I've never experienced a more together team from Newf- just from Newfoundland and Labrador. I mean, we're all seven on the island. Yes, we do Labrador. have every seat. We do have every seat, not just Atlantic Canada. We have every seat in the Newfoundland and Labrador, and we are quite united. It's been it's it's a really good team atmosphere. Um, this and I thought that when I voted the way I did, that might throw that out of whack a bit, but it did not. It 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 persevered. That's longtime Liberal MP Scott Sims. I'll have more from that conversation in just a short bit. Scott's a friend. Uh, he's an experienced parliamentarian. Uh, he knew there were going to be. Uh, uh, he, he knew that uh, there were going to be ramifications, and uh, he decided that uh, that's the way he wanted to go. Do you think that Scott Sim should have been punished? Um, that is entirely up to the leadership as to how they choose to um, deal with with caucus. Does it put a chill on other members of parliament to express the way they feel in the caucus? Didn't we go through a whole thing where you have to be the voice of your constituents in Ottawa and not Ottawa's voice to your constituents? I'd heard about that. (laughs) He knew that there would be a punishment uh, if he went against the whip vote. And I think, you know, we have to respect party discipline. Why? Um, because it was clear when we signed up to run for the Liberal Party that certain votes uh, we were expected to uh, follow the party's line. The party's been very flexible with us on other votes. As you've seen last year, you would remember that uh, the party actually lost votes because of backbenchers feeling that they needed to represent the voices in their writing. Um, I've always said that, you know, nobody's wholeheartedly going to agree with their political party. People choose political parties because they most often agree with what that party represents. to uh, feel that my rights have been infringed on uh, by um, uh, members of, of the, the, the party uh, because I'm not allowed to speak on certain topics in SO31s. I've had SO31s removed and I've been told that if I, I have it on certain topics that I simply won't be given SO31s. And I believe this is infringing on my right as an MP to freedom of speech and to represent my constituents freely. That's Leon Benoit, a former Conservative MP speaking in the House of Commons in 2013 about his experience with party discipline. Five years ago, the issue climaxed after Prime Minister Stephen Harper stripped some of his MPs of their ability to speak in the House of Commons. The um, reason I was given was uh, they didn't approve of the topic. Mark Warra, a Tory MP, wanted to raise an abortion-related issue, but was told he could not have one of the speaking slots, known as SO31s, reserved for members' statements. So he and Benoit complained to the Speaker. There is no reason, Mr. Speaker, why an SO31 should be removed. The only person that can remove that is yourself, according to Standing Order 31. Gordon O'Connor, the government whip, hoped the Speaker would butt out and let parties punish their own members as they saw fit. It's not your job as referee to tell the coach or manager which player to put on, the, uh, on to play at any given time. That's a question for each team to decide. 
Some MPs also felt like their colleagues needed to get in line. Some people want to have their cake and eat it too. Um, any member can give his SO31 if he wants to, but if they want to be part of the so-called team, they have to be willing to submit to the rules and the agreements of that so-called team. Green Party leader Elizabeth May, then, as she does now, swooped in to set the record straight, as she saw it. We are not here as teams, Mr. Speaker. The principle of Westminster parliamentary democracy is that we are here as representatives of our constituencies. We are here as representatives of our constituents. We are merely incidentally members of political parties. Political parties do not exist in our constitution. They are not an essential part of our democracy. They have grown to be seen to be the most interesting thing going on, and we've grown to see politics as some sort of sport. But democracy is not a sport, and we are not playing on teams, and each individual member has individual rights. May was the third non-conservative MP, along with Sims and Christofferson, to vote with the Tories on that Canada student jobs motion. Five years ago, almost to the day of your vote, actually, um, one of your colleagues on the other side, Mark Warawa, stood up in the House of Commons and uh, he raised a question of privilege. Mm. Um, he complained that, that uh, his leadership, uh, Prime Minister Harper, was denying him the right to speak uh, because the party did not approve of the topic he wanted to bring forward, which was... I'm actually, I don't really recall exactly the nature, but it was some um, anti-abortion related uh, comment that he wanted to talk about. Um, And the Harper government decided, well, it had come pretty down pretty hard on its members and did not want to discuss this topic openly. Um, And he brought forward the case that his rights were being... um, were being stripped from him, his ability to represent his constituents uh, because he could not speak freely in the House of Commons. Sometimes we think of punishments as MPs don't get to go on trips. They uh, get denied um, the right to perhaps take a Friday and they get stuck with house duty on Fridays. Uh, Or in your case, they get their chairmanship. Um, taken away. But there are other punishments, too, that are levied. Sure. Yep. What are they? There you go. <laughs> what can I say? Uh, yeah. Uh, that is a common one. It Basically, it's about speaking slots. You know, you don't get speaking slots. Is it appropriate for the leadership to punish MPs by denying them the right to speak? Uh, I don't think so. Why is that worse than getting your chairmanship stripped? I don't think it's, I don't know if it's worse or not, but it's, uh, uh, I think that's a fault of the system. I don't think it's a fault of a particular whip. If you look at the standing orders in the house, you're recognized to speak when you rise out mm-hmm. of your seat. Over the years, it's devolved into the whip gets to decide who goes where. Uh, this is not the whip's fault. It's just the system that has devolved in that way. I say devolved because I think it has devolved. Um, I think that in certain cases, maybe in QP, there's an argument that the whip decides who asks the questions, whether which conservative gets to ask, which person from the NDP gets to ask, so on and so forth. Um, but after a while, it almost gets too far in the sense that each member of parliament represents a riding 
So you start looking like you're um, an outfit that is proportional representation, where leadership decides who sits in the house, when in fact the citizens decide who sits in the house. And that's unfortunate. I remember the Warwick case quite well, and I thought he put together a pretty bold argument. What it was was SO31s, which are member statements in the House. You get one minute to make a statement, and the whip decides, the party decides who gets to speak, and I guess they didn't allow him to speak, and apparently he wasn't too happy. Shear, Andrew Shear, the current conservative leader, was the speaker at the time. Mm-hmm. And he stood up and he ruled that nothing prevented Mr. Wawara from mm-hmm. standing up in the House of Commons. I remember that. And uh, Shear said he would recognize any member that stood up, um, or he gave himself the right to recognize any member that stood up. And for a few days, I think we had two, maybe three members stand up, um, and they were recognized. But that was the end of that. Um, Jeff Regan, the current speaker, told me that no one's ever stood up in the House. And in fact, sometimes people wait on him to call them before they stand up to ask their question. Hmm. Is party discipline not something that MPs impose on themselves? Exactly. I don't know the impose... Well, let me see. Do impose it on themselves? Uh, No, but there's a system that we have, that everybody knows about and everybody acknowledges. SO31s are determined by someone other than yourself, other than the speaker. Uh, Questions, debates, also determined by someone other than the speaker, even though the standing orders say it's determined by the speaker. So go figure that. It was convention that actually says that we're going to allow the parties to give us a list of people who gets to speak. There also comes a time, too, when... We as MPs can take a lot of this responsibility onto our own. And maybe we should in the future. So if there's a a breakdown in the system, um, then maybe the MP should be the ones to uh, take control. After all, the standing orders do dictate that the members of the House control the House. You think parties have too much say over how things get allocated right now? Uh, Right now is quite a bit, yeah. And it's it's a bit alarming. What do you mean by it's alarming? Yeah, it's quite. It's more than what people think about who gets to speak in the house. Yeah, of course it is. I don't think most people know that the parties basically determine how speaking slots get allocated, or even um, how sometimes the speeches are actually written by the party. And not by the members themselves. Well, th- now, that's another issue of speeches written. I could have, I could, we could do a whole different podcast on that because I believe uh, that when it comes to written speeches are one thing, but MPs rely too much, too much on written speeches. A minister doing a written speech, I get it. They're speaking on behalf of a department and a government. They are the executive. But when MPs do it, it's a bit much. It's too much. If you can't get up in the House of Commons and speak for 20 minutes... Without notes, you shouldn't be there. You shouldn't be there. You've been here since 2004. Your constituents know you. You've won your seat. Um, Even when your party leaders were not very popular, Mr. Zion, Mr. Ignatieff, and there are several other liberal veterans, but there are also a lot of new MPs who are here because of who Justin Trudeau is. How do they wrestle between standing up for what that is in the best interest of their constituents versus standing up for 
the party and the banner that they were uh, selected to represent. That's true. I mean, uh, listen, I, I when I get up and speak in the House, it's not always all about my riding. I'm just saying that every MP should do it. But by the same token, you did come in under a Liberal banner. You're, Justin Trudeau was not on your ballot, but Liberal is. And people did vote for Justin Trudeau knowing that your name represents Justin Trudeau. So therefore, you should get in and talk about it. I Listen, I think Justin Trudeau is the best prime minister in the country. Best leader, certainly, for all, all, all the parties. Um, I talk about our policy. I like our policy. 99.9% um, of it. But you also have to carve out a part of your own because your people put you there to represent them and they represent them with, you know, the vision that was put forward by Justin Trudeau. How do you encourage your colleagues to follow your lead? Speak your mind. Just, you know, if you get a, if you're recognized in the house and you get 10 minutes or 20 minutes, it varies depending on the where the debate is. You know, I've always said, if you can't get up in the house and brag about your riding, you shouldn't be there. So get up, say it. You might be nervous, but ah, the hell with it. Just let it rip, as we say in Newfoundland. Let it go. Is that the advice you'd give younger MPs? Yeah. Yeah. To bring it down to its bare minimum, just, yes, be a party person. Be be that person you believe in the vision, communicate your vision of the country through your leader. Yes, I get all that. But, you know, be you too. Be yourself. You don't get this often. And people, your name is on that ballot. It's the biggest thing on that ballot when you mark an X. Then make it count. You make sure that that person is representing you in the House of Commons. Do you think part of the reason that MPs don't um, perhaps vote the way they would personally like to or the way they feel their constituents might want them to is because of us in the media. We make too big a deal of it. Yeah, I think so. I hope you're not offended. I'm not. So you think we should stop? We want we no, encourage I, I independent thought, but then we no, punish you be, for d being divi divided? No, I, I don't want you to stop because I truly believe in in the freedom of the press and the media because you can point out what you want. I can only cast an opinion on it, which is, yeah, there's a lot of focus on a dissenting vote. Um, if you look at the United Kingdom, uh, right now there's a conservative government under Theresa May. Mm -hmm. um, conservative members of parliament vote against the government all the time. It's far more frequent, far more frequent than it happens here. Um, is it an issue there? Not as it not as it is here. Sometimes it is on the bigger issues, but I, I guess maybe it's just so infrequent here um, that you report on it when it happens, especially if there's one, <laughs> like in my case, which is me. So I guess that comes easy pickings. Do you think your punishment fit your crime? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Because I was told what it was. The leadership feels that this was a charter issue, reproductive rights, then it's a whip vote. And they told me what would happen before the vote, therefore, that's it. So they have their job to do, but I had mine, which was to vote against what I feel wasn't right.
Thank you very much, Scott Sims. Thank you, Althea Raj. Scott Sims is the Liberal MP for Coast of Bay's Central Notre Dame. tracked down some opposition MPs this week for their take on party discipline and how they've experienced it so far. I listen to your podcast, so... Do you like it? I love it. Oh, good. I think we need more Canadian politics podcasts. Matthew Dubay, I am the NDP MP from Bede Chambly and our caucus chair. So I am doing a whole podcast on caucus discipline. Uh. (laughs) Um, Can you tell me about your experience with caucus discipline? So it's always a challenging thing. I think that uh, being part of a team means that uh, there's compromise. Politics is the art of the compromise, after all. You've been an MP since 2011. Have you ever voted against the party line? Uh, I The one time I voted against a critic's recommendation was on a bill about uh, the slaughter uh, slaughterhouses and horses. That was uh, Alex uh, Adamanenko's bill, actually a former colleague. And uh, I voted, uh, I, I can't, I'd have to go back and look. I forget if it was for or against the bill, but the bill dealt with, I think the bill was increasing legal protections. And uh, I voted with that and there's a heavy lobby behind it and a lot of folks went another, another way. Uh, but uh, I believe that the, conditions in, in slaughterhouses should be uh, top-notch and that's what the the legislation was seeking to do so we were pretty divided caucus then but uh, we uh, you know I don't think it's the most uh, controversial thing either were you punished quote-unquote in any way for that not at all on private members bills there's an understanding that that they're free votes the way we operate in the NDP is we have uh, we review legislation critics make presentations to caucus explain what uh, what the bill's about why we're taking a certain position uh, how we're going to explain to Canadians why we have that particular position people get a chance to ask questions uh, offer comments it's a really awesome robust process that's really helpful for folks and it actually is a great learning experience too because you can't learn about all the bills there's just so much going on here you tend to focus on your writing your critic file whatever um, and so the understanding is that on private members business it's a free vote but you get the opportunity that you have to at least give the critic an opportunity to uh, convince you of the recommendation and, and try and keep it as keep the, the party all on the same page but you know no one's going to be forced to or punished in the event that they go another way obviously government business is a whole nother matter because it's tied to uh, some key key planks of, uh, of government policy and positions that we're taking as a party and as I said being part Part of a team does require uh, some form of compromise and uh, uh, you know we even if when we're in opposition we like to project as if we are governing and governing is about choices and, it, and it's and it's uh, not always easy uh, especially in a country like Canada that's very very big with a diversity of viewpoints but we try and make it work. Do you feel like party discipline is something that is imposed on you or that you accept to engage in? 
You definitely accept it. I think it's a social contract with your caucus. I think uh, uh, often I think people see it as something coming down from the leader only, and certainly the leader, you know, heavy is the head that wears the crown, right? In terms of doling out punishment and things like that through the whip and such. But at the end of the day, caucus often is rallying around these types of decisions, and certainly if the leader doesn't have buy-in from caucus, uh, these types of decisions can't be made, uh, regardless of of, uh, of the fact that they have that that right and that authority as leader. And so I. Think I think it's important to understand that you are part of a team. Uh, you are defending, a, 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 you know, co collective positions on issues. The other place where it manifests itself is in message discipline. That obviously is a topic that interests journalists, and I think that's an interesting debate too, uh, because I think that uh, how we express things is really important. Unfortunately, in this day and age, I don't think you get any do-overs, and there's unfortunately not as much place for nuance in our line of work as I wish there was, and so that's why message discipline ends up getting becoming very important. I think it sort of plays into the same sort of theme of, of, of how politicians express themselves and the positions they take. And I think often when we see someone who may look like they're saying something different, they're actually usually on the same page with their caucus colleagues and unfortunately things you know, get blown up a certain way. So I think that's an interesting debate too of how, uh, how in this sort of 24-hour news cycle we don't, uh, you know, you might say something wrong, you might walk it back, you might apologize and whatnot, but usually the mistake or the nuance gets a lot more coverage than any follow-up there is after. And so it's a challenging thing. So obviously my takeaway from this is Mr. Singh, your leader, felt the caucus really was behind David Christofferson or was opposed to his punishment, which is why he went back on his initial decision. I, I wouldn't say that. What I would say is I think that in conversations that were had with with, with folks, including with, with Dave, uh, with Mr. Christofferson, the, 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 the decision was made that uh, you know, perhaps in this particular instance, a softer touch was what was required. I wouldn't, uh, I, you know, I won't comment on conversations that happened in caucus, but uh, you know, it wasn't uh, it wasn't some kind of large revolt. It was just, uh, you know, sober second thought. I think was what was applied in, in Mr. Singh's case. And here, I thought you guys were opposed to the Senate. <laughs> Thanks very much, Matt. <laughs> Thank you. Have, has your whip ever told you, Karen, if you vote this way, there are going to be consequences and these are the consequences that will be levied against you? Not once. Not once. I, uh, every single time I'm putting a vote, I'm standing there and with pride knowing that I'm making the right choice and representing the people. Hi, I'm Karen Vecchia, Member of Parliament from Elgin, Middlesex, London. Can you tell me what your experience of party discipline has been? Well, to be honest, I don't think I have to be disciplined very much. So I think that's part of the issue is, is I'm here to represent the people of Elgin Middlesex London, and that is my discipline from that. So when it comes to the party, my job is to stay focused on what's good for my constituents. And I've never had an issue when it comes to party discipline. In the last parliament in 2011, or that parliament, yeah, um, Mark Warra, a Conservative MP, had stood up and complained that his leadership was preventing him from speaking his mind and was preventing him from um, talking in the House of Commons. And at the time, Andrew Scheer, who was the speaker, said, yes, the whips are in charge of like SO31s and questions being delivered, but nothing prevents you from standing up in the House and having me recognize you. But we don't see that happen. Do you think it's appropriate uh, for whips to prevent MPs from speaking in the House of Commons? And if we don't see it, what's behind that? Well, to be honest, I, I don't see it. Um, we've had two fabulous whips since I've come here, since 2015, in which I've never been told that I can't stand up and speak on something. Now, I have some very strong views on, on certain things, especially when it comes to families, and they know that 
me standing up asking a question perhaps to my liberal or NDP colleague could be a little, uh, you don't know where it's going to go because I do it with such passion, but they still give me the opportunity to do so. Were you surprised that there were no MPs who stood up for Scott in the same way that we saw them speak up for David Christofferson? I thought it was crazy. Yeah, David Christofferson, I actually went up to him as well and just said, I am so glad that they came back on that decision. I've, I've watched them in Prague, especially when I was a staffer for Joe Preston. Going back to with Scott Sims and having the chairship removed from him, I personally, because I was the person who put forward that motion, I personally felt a little bad for a second. I thought... Why is it for me to feel bad because Scott's lost his chairship? It's his, the Liberal leadership that took away that chairship. He did what was right. And I think the moment that we stopped standing up for our constituents because we're worried about losing a chairmanship or, any, or not being able to speak, we're not doing what we're supposed to do, and that's represent the people of our constituency. It's risky, especially for a, new, a newbie, a new MP. A lot of them are recognizing they've only been here for two and a half years. I don't think the confidence of stepping outside of the box is, is there. Um, and, and I think that's part of the thing. Like myself, I'm a little sometimes maybe overconfident, but I think it's really important that we always remember why we're here. And when you see something being done like that to what was done for Scott Sims, they should have been standing up for him, especially when I know in the heart, many of them felt that way. Thank you very much. Anytime. <laughs> see ya. show. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you didn't, please don't write anything. If you're wondering why this episode came a little bit earlier than our regular schedule, it's because I'm off next week. Yes, I do take vacations. So bonus, more podcasts. Woohoo! <laughs> this episode was produced with the indispensable help of ZM Lum. Our technical producer is Stephanie Warner. Andre Lau is our executive producer. I'm Althea Raj. Thank you very much for listening. 